This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome from the desert to the sea. It's 707 and KNAC News Time. I am Russ Bancock. Tonight, top story, top interview as we go through the governor races through these beautiful states of ours. We are going to be granted an interview with the very first American history, the very first Latino redneck. Now, we're going to go ahead and see if Beck Summers is uh, on location. Now, let's check in with Beck and see if Beck could possibly bring in the candidate for an interview. Beck! Uh, hi, uh, Ross. Uh, I'm standing here with uh, Governor-to-be-elect. Uh, he asked that we don't state his name. Uh, for apparent reasons, he felt uh, obligated and uh, egotistically valued to pronounce his own name. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to... You, sir, are running for governor. Can you please tell our viewers your name and your political stance? Hi, hi. Is, this, is this okay? Is this okay to sit down right here? Okay, that's right. I'm the first Latino redneck. My name is Pancho Flores, and uh, I will be uh, the first Latino redneck. And uh, I-, I consider myself pretty, pretty proud to be that. You know, no relation to the WWF, WWE, and... All them three-letter governmental agencies, but uh, <laughs> now uh, shall I address you as Mr. Flores, or do you want me to call you? You can call me by many names. I've been known by others, but we won't go there. <laughs> you can call me uh, Sir Poncho. I, recently, I was knighted. I was knighted. I went uh, over there to the Englands, and I was knighted by the well. She claimed to be the queen. Although she had me meet her in some bed and breakfast, so I, I don't know uh, how much of a queen. She was a lot younger than what I see on TV. This one looked more like she was in her late 30s, but uh, TV can uh, take some years off of you. That's true, and TV could also add some pounds. I've noticed uh, that uh, you don't look like you've missed a burrito or a taquito in quite some time. Uh, I, I try to avoid uh, the, the Hispanic foods of all kinds, especially burritos, because they're not really Mexicans. They're more borderline. Uh, who knows where in the borderline? Yeah. But I tend to eat more of the natural food. You know, we got some uh, ribeye steaks, uh, pork bellies, uh, cowboy beans. I don't eat many of them tortillas. Uh, sometimes some jalapeno or two, but uh, that's about it. Now, now Poncho. Uh, what is your... It's, uh, it's Sir Pancho. Oh, Sir, Sir Pancho. Sir, Remember, I was knighted. That's right. <laughs> what seems to be the the funny funny over there? Uh, Sir Pancho. Uh, just, uh, I'm having a hard time uh, believing that you that were knighted. That kind of has a ring to it, you know, Sir Pancho. Sir Pancho, what is your status on uh, illegal immigrants here in the state getting driver's well, no, licenses? No, 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 no. We'll not tolerate any illegal activities. However, I do tolerate illegal immigration, and I'm going to tell you why. I will strictly allow all kinds of uh, illegal immigration into this country because they are the backbone of all of my household chores, you know, uh, I, I need to get I need to get my my lawn scaped and uh, uh, my my water ducts cleared and uh, and I also need to, to to have my my town fed, you know. And uh, I tell you what, now, <laughs> Sir Poncho, uh, now uh, what plateau are you taking on uh, uh, all lives matter, all Black lives matter? What is your take being the very first? A redneck Latino that is running uh, for office. You know, I got the perfect solution, Stuart. Uh, <laughs> no, sir. My name is Ross. Jo- Jonathan? John- okay, Stuart. Uh, Ross. Ross. Anyway, yeah, I've got the perfect solution. I've been, uh, been, uh, you know, dabbling a little bit in uh, some old-time TV shows, black and white era, you know, uh, Barney. <laughs> uh, anyway... Um, and and I've came to come to find out that uh, usually black lives, as well as uh, you know the the browner type of people. Now 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 hear, now hear me out for a second. Right. I want <laughs> nothing seems to be funny here. Why are you laughing? Now the point is, if I take out a brown brother like like myself, right? 
and I put him in the vicinity of anybody who they dare talk down to and call redneck. You know what comes out of that? What com- I, I would uh, presume violence. Pure masterpiece. I mean, such as myself. I mean, take a look at myself. Anyway, the point is I would put each respective group and I would take them out of their element and I would put them with the totally the opposite people. For example, Black Lives Matter. Yes, they do. And I'll put them with the whitest of the white and I could put them I could put them in neighborhoods where there has never been a black person. Now, for example, the Chinese, they don't like Hispanics, right? I'll put it right smack in the middle of East L.A. How do they like that? They're going to become a masterpiece. Well, I, I, now, now, Sir Pancho, that is already done because majority of these small mom and top liquor stores are all owned by Asian individuals right. or Middle right. Eastern. And the conflict between the Latin community and these other ethnic communities is uh, at a boiling point uh, how would you stop? How? Right. But where you're wrong is this. Here's what I would do. The difference is I wouldn't have them own any businesses. I would have them live with the Hispanic community and have them put on the same kind of clothes, have the same kind of jobs. You know, I could no longer uh, allow them to, to become uh, high school graduates and, uh, and be able to graduate from college. I would reverse the roles. You know, have them sell flowers on the freeway. Have them do all the cleaning. See how different they are. Yet, at the same time, realize they're the same and there it is ladies and gentlemen i gotta go uh i got much more uh, to take you know, care uh, of Sir Pancho, i have one more question all right make it quick oh, the meter's running if uh, if you could go back into the 80s and you were the gr- governor of this great state of texas and you were allowed to do two things one good for the latinos and one good for the rednecks what would those things be if you were the governor in the 1980s Quickly, move along. Uh, first, very easy. First of all, I would let all the Latinos into this country and let them be police officers. First of all. Secondly, I would have everybody of any other race and nationality enjoy all the benefits of going to live on the other side of the border. We want to thank uh, Sir Pancho Flores. Sir Pancho Flores, that's right. Thank you, Stephen. For uh, uh, coming on to uh, KNACP News tonight. And uh, I am your host, Ross. Yes. Uh, uh, Vote Flores in the future. I got two thumbs up, just like my compadre, Nixon. Thank you very much, sir. Good luck to you. Welcome into the one and only Back to the 80s radio show. I'm Toscano from Toscano and Chang. And as we are with you every single week, I want to give a big shout out to everybody listening to us throughout the kingdom of podcasting. And that is through the kingdom of Pandora. If you're listening to us through Apple Music, through iHeartRadio, a big, big thank you. And for those listening through Spotify, I want to give you guys a big shout out as well. Today is a very special show because we have, to my side, I have the man, the myth, and the legend. We call him the Chang. How is your world swinging? Hopefully you're all doing well. And you're taking care of yourself against this nasty virus called politics because politics can kill. Well, Toscano, it's great to see you, one of the most handsome Italian men that I've ever seen since Guy Fieri. And I don't know if he's Italian, but I'm just putting it on. Yeah, well, it's, I'm, I'm glad that, that you're able to join us. I'm glad that we're here together. And I'm glad that we're talking about the 80s yeah. because there's nothing better to talk about in this day and age of COVID and crappy politics no. than stuff that made us oh, yeah. uh, just... Uh, go back in time and, and stuff that really brought the good memories back. So nothing better, my friend. And and today we continue. Today we continue talking about the 80s. And we're going on part two of Comedians of the 1980s. So if you remember last week, we talked about those comedians that were just the cream of the crop, the top of the of the heap in, in comedy. Today... Day number one, 
That's right. Frank Sinatra said it best, my friend. And uh, and what we're doing today is we're continuing the talk about comedians because there is so much that they brought to the table and they paved the way for the future. And everything that, you know, all the comedians today are a result of comedians back in back in the day so now uh this first comedian i want to bring uh attention to uh some may remember some may not uh this guy was on the brink of intellect as a comedian raw ruthless but politically correct and i'm talking about the late great bill hicks uh that we had lost to cancer uh bill hicks was a fine comedian he was cutting edge kind of like a lenny bruce kind of uh Mm, a little bit more intellect, kind of like, uh, I'd say maybe uh, a David Letterman to a certain degree. David Letterman's another comedian that was big in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, but Bill Hicks was ruthless. Uh, I mean, he, Bill Hicks would probably not be working in the way that we are suffering in a wussy state of mind here in the States with everybody uh, being right, afraid right. to say anything against anybody else. Everybody... Yeah, no matter what walk of life, proclaiming their own importance over we, uh, Bill Hicks would probably be in a lot of trouble. Uh, I don't know if you recall uh, uh, ever seen Bill Hicks do his stand-up. Uh, kind of a kind of a cerebral yeah. uh, R rating of comedians, uh, if I may say. Yeah, and he encompassed a, a wide range of of issues like religion, politics, philosophy, and right. uh, he was right. more. I think he was pegged into the category of being a little bit dark, like dark comedy. And it was just a, a tragedy to, to see him pass away at the young age of 32 from pancreatic cancer. And that happened, what, 1994, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, it did in, in 94. Uh, I think uh, comedy took a massive blow with his passing because uh, there's so much material he could have covered. I think there he could have gotten to a plateau that would have probably been like a, a Dave Chappelle of nowadays, you know, uh, I don't think he had the acting chops much, so you wouldn't have seen him on SNL or anything like that. But I could probably see Bill Hicks on a on his own type of television show, uh, like Stephen Colbert or somebody like that. In 2007, he was number six on Channel 4's list of 100 greatest stand-up comics, and he rose to number four in 2010. And then in 2017, according to Rolling Stone magazine, they ranked him 13 on the list oh, yeah. of the top 50 best stand-up comics of all time. And that's incredible. It's just very sad that it took all those years for him to get the recognition. And probably right. he got the recognition because America grew up a little bit. America kind of grew tired. you know. And then when you get bored, you look into the past things of nostalgia. So maybe a lot of individuals are barely coming. were barely coming in contact with his type of content and comedic style that kind of uh, catapulted him to the grounds of where he became a top notch higher in the rankings as opposed to when he was alive let's take a listen a little bit of some bill hicks here for everybody to get to know him yeah i've noticed a certain anti-intellectualism going around this country man ever since around 1980 <laughs> coincidentally enough <laughs> I was in Nashville, Tennessee last week, and after the show, I went to a Waffle House, right? And I'm sitting there, and I'm eating, and I'm reading a book. I don't know anybody. I'm alone. I'm eating, and I'm reading a book. And this waitress comes over to me. What's you reading for? I said, wow, I've never been asked that. Not what am I reading, but what am I reading for? Well, God damn it, you stumped me. I guess I read for a lot of reasons, but the main one is so I don't end up being a fucking waffle waitress. <laughs> yeah, that'd be real high on the list. <laughs> then this trucker in the next booth gets up, stands over me and goes, well, looks like we got ourselves a reader. <laughs> well, what the fuck's going on? Like I walked into a Klan rally in a Boy George costume or something. Am I stepping out of some intellectual closet here? I read. There, I said it. I feel better. Some serious humanity, man. Serious pockets of humanity out there. Now, Tusky, my friend, the next com comedian I want to bring up is somebody that was very near to our hearts. 
because his style of comedy was very mm. family oriented. Uh, I think I know uh, who you're talking about. Not too derogatory. Very, very, very clean. Uh, he sold pudding. Uh, his face was on everything. Uh, right. He, he was Doctor Hugstable, and I'm talking about Whoa, the late. Why are you saying great. the late great? <laughs> He's the not late, dead. <laughs> well, yeah, he did some things. Well, for some of the things <laughs> he did, he just might should be. Yes. Bill Cosby. Now, first of all, I, I want to tell you, Bill Cosby was a tremendous comedian on top of an actor back in the '60s. Uh, he came out in uh, I Spy. Uh, he had, you know, uh, and then to catapult from being the Jello guy and the family grandpa style, and catapulted into hey, putting some roofies and mellow gelatin, and then he was you know, Fat Albert, also the voice of Coca Cola commercials. Remember that, right? You know, so I would attribute that maybe he was putting some roofies in Coca Cola and serving these drinks up to these young ladies. Uh, what you, what's your take on his style of comedy? I mean, I loved his comedy because he can actually tell stories. He's a wonderful storyteller, as we all know. And he can get you to laugh your pants off right. without cussing. I mean, I remember uh, Bill Cosby himself, the concert that he gave. Mm-hmm. I think he only used yes. one bad word in the entire concert. And he had the audience laughing. I mean, you, I can still watch that and laugh. Mm-hmm. And so it was... It was such a shock when all this stuff, all this, you know, the harassment news and the the taking advantage, the sexual stuff that was going on behind the scenes. I mean, I'm an adult. It shouldn't catch me off guard. But when you look up to somebody as wholesome that we all thought was so wholesome, such as Bill Cosby, it does it does throw a wrench in uh, in your in the way you look at and think about people. You know, that's why lots of times. I, I tell people, man, if you're if you're an entertainer, if you're an artist of any kind, whether it be an actor, comedian, singer, songwriter, any, anybody who's in the public eye, even though you do have a voice and you have every single right to express your ideologies and things like that, keep them to a minimum because you're going to alienate a certain part of the crowd. And if you're screwing around, that's even worse. How many entertainers that you know that as soon as they – verbally express who they yeah. support in their political views and if they go against what you you and you believe personally i mean doesn't that turn you off then you don't you literally don't want to listen to that person anymore or watch that person anymore sometimes so and by the way isn't he out of jail now yeah he uh he's out of jail now uh i wonder what uh i wonder if he sat in his cell and he would talk to himself and he would one one he'd you know would be fat halberd <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to be dropping the soap. I always want to give it to you with your cattle pudding. What do you want for breakfast? The four-year-old has the ability to see through and find the wrong thing. <laughs> and the child saw through my body what was behind me. She saw the chocolate cake. And she said, can I have a chocolate cake? And I said, chocolate cake where? She said, chocolate cake behind you. And I looked, and there was chocolate cake. The child wanted chocolate cake for breakfast. How ridiculous. And I said, and someone in my brain looked under chocolate cake and saw the ingredients. Eggs. Eggs are in chocolate cake. And milk. Oh, goody. And wheat. That's nutrition. What do you want? That's a chocolate cake. Chocolate cake coming up. <laughs> Sliced it for her and served it. Now, you need something to drink with the chocolate cake. Something breakfast. Grapefruit juice. This is not your child. And that was, of course, Bill Cosby himself. Uh, you know, Ching, when I was a kid, I used to watch, and I remember, I think it was Showtime, HBO or Showtime on one of those channels, and there was this comedian that I had no idea who he was. I didn't know what he was doing, but I would see him on stage all the time 
dressed kind of like a, like a mime, but without the paint, you know, wearing the suspenders. And he had this big mallet and he would bring out fruit and put it on a table and, and just break all these kinds of fruits in front of people. He would drench the audience. And I'm talking, that's right. Leo, born Leo Anthony Gallagher Jr. Gallagher was, of course, uh, known of being this very just different, totally different kind of comedian. Uh, how do you remember Gallagher? I remember Gallagher kind of being like that show clown without any makeup, kind of that vaudevillish type comedian to where he went with his uh, skits and uh, his quick uh, intelligent one-liners before he would smash. I mean, anything from a cantaloupe to a watermelon. I mean, right, throwing right. buckets of water at people. Uh, he, he always had those suspenders that were very Robin Williamish looking from Mork and Mindy. He had hair like Bozo. He looked like he had Frank Zappa's face with Bozo the Clown's That's hair. That's right. That's right. That's Did you know that he was like. half Irish and Croatian? No, I did not know that. That is insane. Yeah, and then and then he got I guess he had a big big problems with his brother. His brother's name was Ron and his brother Ron asked him for permission to perform shows using Gallagher's trademark sledgeomatic routine. Uh, Remember that? Yes. And and Gallagher, yeah, so Gallagher granted, you know, his brother uh, the permission to go ahead and do that on one condition. I guess Ron shared a strong likeness. He looked a lot like Gallagher. You can do it, but you you can't say it was, you know, me or something like that. And and I guess it went the other way around and and I, you know, they separated, but it was all over using the sledgeomatic routine. So. Uh, you know what I remember as Gallagher uh, got older, uh, he kind of declined I think in popularity, much like Carrot Top did because uh, it was always the same spill. You know, and uh, you can get away with doing your spill so long. You know, you become iconic. Uh, another comedian, uh, really quick, that we're talking, uh, just like uh, not his same style, but uh, Don Rickles. Don Rickles yeah. is the godfather of uh, derogatory comedy without cussing. Uh, and he, right. he managed to stay relevant in comedy all through the 80s, the 90s, and up until just what a, a couple of years ago. He'll always yeah. be infamous for being known on the uh, Dean Martin roasts back in the 70s. Uh, so uh, Gallagher, I think, is always remembered just like Dice Clay for a certain style that they had. But I think uh, comedic longevity, it, it kind of wore out and wore thin. In 1999, he did a show in Cerritos, California. In which he got in, he got in big trouble. He got in big trouble because he used stereotypes that were considered offensive towards the Mexican community. So yeah, and you don't do that in an area of Southern California where there's a lot of Mexican Americans. So you know? very similar to Michael Richards of uh, Jerry Seinfeld's Kramer character when he broke the barrier and he went on a tirade about Afro Americans, the black brothers and sisters. He created his own crucifix. So you know what? That both son of a bitch is hanging. That's why I tell you, nah. don't put your real feelings out there. If you're going to be a, a real entertainer, you're going to alienate a, okay. a certain part of the crowd. And I think the part of the the wonder and awe and the and the you know the sparkle of any entertainer is the fact that we don't know. That's perfect that you bring up that 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 point. I'm just agreeing with you. Keep continue, please, master. So I was I was just <laughs> so I was just thinking as my dad used to always tell me. He used to tell me. You know what, if, if if these entertainers would shut their freaking mouths up and just do what they're paid to do, you know, yeah, they got a voice, but they can express it in their bedroom. Yeah, yeah to a certain degree, I agree with you, especially me, uh, you know, tapping on the on the stage of stand-up comedy, and you do put yourself all out there, and sometimes what you may think is, is funny may not be funny. Somebody could take it out of context. But then again, when you are a comedian, it's just another funnier outlook on life to similarities that everybody else has. But as a comedian, we just put it out there in a funny way and, and just go for it. Now, let me let me ask you, Chang, because right. you're a comedian and you've been on stage. Let me ask you this. Since the 80s, you don't have comedians such as Andrew Dice Clay because he wouldn't be accepted. But yet you have a comedian and I don't remember the guy's name, but you have a comedian that all he talks about is either little animals getting killed or or babies getting killed. 
and and he gets a laugh. How do you feel about this comedy? Everything in life, good, bad, sad, or or what have you, is got a funny twist to it. Uh, a lot of things taken out of context, set out of context. Some things shouldn't probably be made fun of. But in comedy, in individuals that are comics, we find humor in everything. And there's, we're in a, an, an age now, bro, where sadistic comedy is kind of a, kind of taboo to where, to a certain degree, nobody wants to hear it anymore because they don't want anybody to get pissed off at them or sue them or lose their job or get killed over it. But at the same uh, token, you have comedians that will go into the darker stuff and do it as shock, almost like a shock jock on the radio. And a lot of times, a laugh will be chuckled when somebody hits you with shock because it's a uh, it, it's a nervous laugh, kind of a, a, to break the barrier of what the individual said. You know, right. depending. Right. Like, I can't believe he just said that. Oh yeah, my gosh, you know what right? I mean? So you'll get a chuckle like that. But then again, you have to remember, sometimes the odd, there are audience members that are as dark as the comedic joke that you came up with. The Yeah, right. That's the other thing. It, I mean, they all have a, a market. And I guess at the end of the day, it's a business, right? At, so at the end of the day. That's the way the, the reps. At the end at of it. the day, comedy is very similar to, uh, I won't even say acting, kind of like radio. Uh, you have to be a flash in the pan right then and there. Kind of have to style yourself out. You kind of have to take it in the keister for Easter. Uh, nowadays, uh, as, as I saw, see comedy, everybody wants a clean room because everybody is so uptight about offending anybody. Uh, and, and to me, that's a problem with stand-up comedy now. Everybody wants to tiptoe uh, around things. Uh, everybody's uh, uh, afraid to hear something raw and just, uh, you know, bold out funny. I mean, if you go back to the 70s shows that some of us watched, I mean, you you know, the Jeffersons, All in the Family. Uh, you had SNL that was doing eth ethnic uh, jokes and people were laughing. We can't do that anymore. And I think comedy has suffered, but I think society has suffered to not uh, laugh at itself. And I think comedy lacks that now you don't see as many epic comedians because everyone's a little bit afraid to take that next step out there so we're never going to see right. another richard Pryor. maybe we're not going to see another robin williams of that plateau unless yeah unless you know you get comedians that are older that those are their mentors maybe then a comedy will will kind of evolve back to the way it used to be with not so many people being as dark, but as dirty. And I think the thing with comedy now, people tend to cast dirty into dark, just like they're doing in society. I remember uh, back in the 80s when if you watch somebody do uh, stand-up comedy and they were making fun of uh, handicapped people, remember? That was like, oh, you're going to go to hell for that. But then you get the, the greats start doing it, and then that kind of let, paved the way for others. Like, uh, Robin Williams started uh, making fun of of handicapped to clear things up. Remember Mike Myers, yeah, Mike Myers in Saturday Night Live when he did that uh, that little boy that used to have to get uh, on on the boy on the on the kid leash with the helmet at the playground. Yeah, it, you know, yeah, the comedy yeah. kind of took a little bit a uh, step into topics where we probably shouldn't have made fun of. We should have had maybe a little bit more light, but it did bring those those comedians a lot more notoriety, and it opened the door for a lot more people in the comedy world to be a little bit more free. Let's uh, take a quick break. This is Back to the 80s Radio. When we come back, the list continues of the 1980s greatest comedy minds. Like a creature of the night. Back to the 80s. It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we serve a hamburger we modestly call a single. And Wendy's single has more beef than the Whopper or Big Mac. At Wendy's, you get more beef and less bun. Hey, where's the beef? I don't think there's anybody back there. You want something better. You're Wendy's kind of people. 
If you can't wear a spandex jumpsuit, what can you do? This is Back, back to the 80s. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Chang from the infamous duo Toscano and Chang. You are back to Back to the 80s tonight. We are discussing comedians of the 80s, a little bit of uh, nostalgia that they created, a little bit of their backbone, a little bit of their vibe. And now this next comedian that we're going to talk about is a comedian that kind of gets passed over a lot. Uh, he he evolved into the mid-80s. We're talking about Dennis Wolf, Wolfberg. Uh, he's known for his kind of uh, Larry of the Three Stooges type hair, these enormous eyeball uh, eyeballs that would pop out when he delivered his uh, comedy line. Uh, maybe some of you, you, you want to put a face on him. Uh, he was Ziggy in the television show with Scott Bakula. Does anybody remember that you show? You know what? I... No, he wasn't Ziggy from... He was in Quantum Leap. Oh, yes. Did you know that Dennis Wolfberg had a master's degree in clinical psychology? Maybe that's what made him so good as a as a comic. Uh, yes, he was. <laughs> that is. He was uh, very funny. Now, I, re- I remember watching his uh, stand-up when I was a, a young cat. And uh, he made a, uh, a lot of humor about being married, uh, having a child... Uh, having the uh, background that he did in that medical field. So it was uh, pretty intellectually on cue. You know, you had to you had to be intelligent, you had to be married and have a kid to understand what Dennis was bringing to the table. And he also died at a very young age of 48. He died yes, October 3rd, uh, 1994 of melanoma. And, uh, you know, it brings to mind all the people that we lost in the 80s and early 90s because of certain cancers, and even though cancer is very relevant right. today, people usually have more of an, a life expectancy because of the advancement of technology. So in that sense, yes, we are grateful uh, for, for the newer tech. What a tragedy mm-hmm. to see such a, a young comedian uh, go so soon. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like you said, we've seen so many young comedians pass before their time, you know. We're not here to. We're not going to put him in, in a category who died of overdose or who died of what. It's just sad that when uh, somebody is portrayed as a clown and you bring, uh, they bring nothing but joy and humor that they have to check out of this world, especially when individuals like that are so much needed in the day to day grind of life. Um, one of the comedians that comes to mind who was one of the greats and still does. Well, he became a, a very prolific actor and. He can do many types of roles, just like Robin Williams did. But this actor um, also mm. is a musician, and he also comes out with a fellow actor doing a act a, a comedian's duo uh, stand-up comedy. And the actor comedian that I'm talking about is none other than Steve Martin. Oh yes, Steve Martin. Now it's funny because Steve Martin did come out what I believe in the mid '70s. But, uh, you know, his comedy albums caught fire, his uh, countless uh, uh, stepping up forefront on Saturday Night Live sure helped him right. out. Movies is the jerk, kept him right there in the 80s. Uh, he became that hilarious stand-up comedian who could play the <laughs> – he did an album where he, uh, he, he played uh, the banjo. He's a very renowned uh, banjo player, and uh, with the bunny ears, and then the arrow, the white suit, the gray hair. I mean, he went. He came from the '70s, and I mean, he just kicked ass all the way through the '80s. You know, making movies with, with the late great John Candy, who was also plane, plane trains, and, and automobiles. Yeah. You know, and uh, he just kept it going. I mean, but he he's kept himself going in the comedy world up into the 2000s. I mean, re- even recently, where he came out with Martin Martin Short. Uh, having, you know, they're a duo. They're a stand-up comedy duo. But I yes. remember him best, of course, of course, in his movies, movies yeah. such as uh, The Three Amigos. And mm-hmm. uh, you said movies like The Jerk, of course. And I also remember one of his characters of that wild and crazy guy oh, on with SNL. Dan yep. Yes. And there is a thing I will tell you. The two most swinging foxes had the huts on for us and are coming here tonight to let us hold on to their big American breasts. Why not? There's nothing.
nothing preventing them. After all, there is no other pair of Czech brothers who cruise and swing so successfully in tight slacks. We are two wild and crazy guys. You know, those guys always reminded me of the two guys that used to own the Golden Ox and Aries when I was growing up in Montebello. Just two smooth cats like that that used to wear the gold chains and the horns, and they would talk like that, and they would give you the biggest burrito or the biggest pastrami that you could get all around, my friend. You know what I'm talking about. You know, you guys, come on down here, man. I got some sweet cheese for you and those chicks, man. Come on down here. That's how those guys always remind me. You know, you mentioned a lot. A lot of the most famous comedians did come out in SNL. And Mm -hmm. two of the comedians I'm thinking about, I don't know if they had much success in stand-up because, of course, we only saw, we see them mostly in the 80s. We saw them on TV. Mm-hmm. But the two guys I'm thinking about as a duo is Bill Murray and, of course, Chevy Chase. You can open a curtain up out there somewhere. I can get right through that window. People say, you know, I'm an idiot or something because all you just cut lines for a living, you know. Uh, people don't say that about you as far as you know. Well, I'm working on it. You know, so I don't ever have to, you know, I'm going to be the head greenskeeper. Hopefully within six years, that's my, my schedule. Now, this other comedian I'm going to come out and bring, okay? Now, this is one that goes back in history, okay, and had to redeem themselves back in the 80s, okay? Now, I am talking no other than, are you ready for this? Yep. Bob Newhart. Oh, I, I'm glad you cleared it up because I thought you were going to say Bobcat Goldweight. <laughs> oh, oh, that guy. To me, Bobcat was one of the worst comedians in the world. I, I didn't understand how the hell he got where he was at, you know, and I would be like. You know what, though, with Bob Bob Goldweight, I always hoped, deep in my heart, I really hoped, because I saw him come out in Police Academy, right? And oh, I yeah. always hoped that it was an act. But then I started seeing him doing stand-up, and he did the same character. I never thought he uh-huh. was real funny. Neither did I. But you know what? Uh, you got to give it up to the man because uh, he's a pretty uh, well-known and successful director to movies now. Oh, so, really? I did like yeah. him as an actor um, in in the movies. Like, if you're going to do that as a comedy in a movie, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. But we digress. Uh, go on. Fill us in on your comedian. Now, my next comedian that I'm going to have to bring up, it, it, like I said, is Bob Newhart. And now, Bob Newhart's one of those old-time comedians that came out like, what, on Jack Benny with those cats. His skit was always like he was talking on the phone. But then again, he had the great show, the Bob Newhart show in the 70s. Right. Then he came out with the other Newhart show that I believe that was in the 80s. Uh, you know, he made uh, a couple of appearances on SNL. Uh, a lot of his stand-up comedy was kind of very clean but very funny because he did stay to the same type of act where he pretended he was talking on the phone or right. he was telling you a story of a conversation he had but in a very funny way. And you I know think he's in- still alive, and he was born in 1929. So, I mean, he's what, like 91 years old? Yeah, he, he's done uh, some cameos, and but I've always thought, he is one individual that uh, stayed relevant through the 80s, into the 90s, into, you know, into the last time he took the stage on television. That's another comedian that, uh, you know, you wouldn't think would stay lasting as he did in the 80s when everything was changing and everything was getting a little bit more uh, uh, non-clean, if you know what I mean, because he was a yeah. clean comic. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I have a quote. He said, laughter gives us distance. It allows us to step back from an event, deal with it, and then move on. Mm-hmm. And then he also says something funny. He goes, I don't like country music, but I don't mean to denigrate those who do. And if and for those people who like country music, denigrate means put down. So I thought that was funny. But Don has not done that well in television. Uh, he's had four series now. Uh, the last one, a couple of Dons, received a minus four Nielsen rating. <laughs> This means not only no one watching, but several people without TV sets had heard about the show and said if they got one, they wouldn't watch it. Well, up next is a comedian that is also on the older side. Uh, he passed away in, tw- in 2001. He was born in Peoria, Illinois, 
and he was one of these comedians that was that that just led the way. He was a pioneer of comedy of his type of comedy and became a great actor afterwards. And I'm talking about none other than the late great Richard Pryor. I worked at a mafia nightclub uh, in Youngstown, Ohio. I was 19. I was 19 years old, right? And I didn't know shit about the mafia. Um, my father was the baddest motherfucker I'd ever seen. So the mafia didn't mean shit to me. I did not relate to the mafia. <laughs> and I worked with this lady, Satin Doll. She was the star of the show. Beautiful black stripper, right? Because usually in those days, they had like, in, in clubs, they had a, a singer and a stripper and MC. I was the MC. And she was the first black star I ever met. Satin Doll. Jack, I was beautiful. She was 60 then. <laughs> oh, this bitch was fine, though, man. I'm not lying. Lena Horne didn't have shit on her. And she was crying backstage, you know, I got to get to Buffalo, they won't pay me. I said, who won't pay you? Club owners won't. I said, oh, them motherfuckers going to pay me. <laughs> bet, bet. And I, now this is how ignorant I was. I had a cap pistol. You know them blank starter pistols? I busted into the office with this motherfucker. And I'm like, All right, give me the money, motherfucker. <laughs> Doing my best black shit, you know. You know, that shit usually scare Whitey to death. <laughs> and these motherfuckers didn't do nothing. And I'm sure that those men are sitting in that room today laughing. Because that's what this dude, he just started laughing. <laughs> this fucking kid. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Hey, Tony, come here. Wait a minute, Rich, do the gun again. Hey, Tony, come here. Stick up. Ah! This fucking kid, come here. Come here, you fucking kid. He's got a pair of goosies on him, huh? Fucking kid, come here, goddamn. They like to hug you and rub you. Come here, you fucking And grab your face, you got a monono sitting there. This fucking kid got some goosies. Hey, monono. And they always say shit you don't understand. You know, like, hey, you want a little cuisine, but only? Hey, Paolo, fix him a little bit on the Put some strunzi on. I'll fry it up. They like fried foods. <laughs> fucking get I come in here. He come in here, he had a gun, a fucking kid. Uh, New Japan in my gut, huh? Pay everybody off. Pay them off. It's all right. They're going to have time. They paid everybody off, let everybody go, and kept me. <laughs> like a pet. <laughs> I fucking like this. You're this fucking... <laughs> you got family? Well, you got family now. <laughs> Who is it? Call mine. Tell him I call him back. Tell him it's a stick-up. <laughs> Richard Pryor took the comedic crown from Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce gave it to Richard Pryor on his uh, untimely, sad uh, death that, uh, you know, looked like an overdose, but we'll never know. That was one guy you, you had to reckon with, Lenny Bruce, an idol of mine. Uh, Richard Pryor took so many pages out of the Lenny Bruce a style of comedy. Uh, Richard Pryor, I mean, he was another insane talent, you know, growing up in a brothel, his mother being a, a, a madam. Uh, you know, getting beat by his dad and, and having to see stuff like that. And then become this X-rated, real kind of comedian, you know, who bared it all, talked about him burning himself with his crack, uh, his crack, uh, uh, crisis. You know, talking about doing blow and, and having sex and everything X-rated, what it's like to grow up in the street. Richard Pryor paved the way, I think, for anybody that ever had the guts or the nuts to get up on stage. And, and bear their soul in such a way that is shocking. You know, I know this cat named, with an Asian name, and uh, that's the way he likes to roll. And uh, I think, I think when, when you're a comedian like that, it's really, you're kind of like a butterfly. Every now and then, if you're lucky to catch a butterfly, you feel like, wow, I caught a butterfly, and they move so slow and so gracefully. To me, that's what a great comedian is, kind of like a butterfly. You know, they're going to dazzle you. They're going to take your breath away. 
and then they're just going to barely elude your fingertips and your grasp and float away. That's what, to me, a great comedian is, and that would be Richard Pryor. Yeah, and his comedy definitely reminds me, believe it or not, of the Chang. Oh, thank you. So, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious uh, because when I've, I've heard you doing stand-up and I go, well, that's, that's very reminiscent of Richard Pryor. Yeah, I, I thank you very much on that, bro. I, I remember, I, I think I told you, the very first night I did stand-up comedy to where I was actually doing it not as uh, open mic night not as somebody was just going to try. I, I did the ice house and it was uh, on the night that Richard Pryor died. And uh, I won't say what I did, but I did the Richard Pryor thing prior to my show. I had my family. There was a packed house. And uh, I'll never forget the very first thing I did is I went out and I paid homage to Richard Pryor and I took off my uh, leather jacket and I hung it on an, on the mic stand. And uh, I asked the guy to put a red light on for Richard Pryor. And then I went into my set and I was as X-rated as Richard. I felt like Richard Pryor, uh, ghost was in me that night because uh, I just off the chains. You know what I mean? That's raw and ruthless. We need more comedians like that. Yeah. And jumping over from from Richard Pryor to a comedian that did most of his big stuff, let's say in the '90s, but of course started in the '80s. He's a, he was a graduate of Marquette University in 1986 with a double major in communications and theater. And he started doing improv. I mean, at the ARC Improv in Madison uh, with John Cusack, believe it or not. And then he performed at the Improv Olympic and then at Chicago Second City and starting the same day as Stephen Colbert, believe it or not. And then he was eventually promoted to their main stage in 1989 as a cast member of three reviews, The Gods Must Be Lazy. Uh, and then, after that, became his big break. Because in 1990, along with Chris Rock, Chris Farley was one of the new Saturday Night Live cast members that was announced. And I'll tell you something. Nobody can wear a suit like Chris Farley. Yeah. <laughs> Big and tall shop today, and they got things done over there. The big and tall shop? Yeah, it's not for the tall, Jay. Might as well know now. <laughs> I have a slight weight problem. <laughs> well, they never say big. They always say the portly man. Yeah, that's right. For the man of girth. They always have, like, a girth section. Yeah, yeah. That's good. And he got the tie, and I like the way the collar goes up. Yeah. I always have collar problems. Yeah, big problem. <laughs> you guys doing okay over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And Dave, thanks for dressing too. Nice to have you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to tell all these young folks at home, you better go out there and see our movie Tommy Boy instead of going out back in the alleyway smoking doobies. <laughs> Oh, Chris Farley. Chris Farley kind of was a a, com a a comics comic. I mean, he was like the everyday kind of class clown. Chris Farley was very uh, reminiscent of a John Belushi, where, you know, he could just set the match and comedically torch the whole room at any given time with whatever he said, his facial expression, his body expression, characters that he blasted off to. And that's another comedian, you know, that... Uh, how could you ever forget his presence as a human being, as a big, t a cuddly teddy bear that'll just make you piss your pants when you laugh? And it's very sad that he died the way he did. Uh, and it's funny because as we talk about him, you know, the one thing that, that many individuals have a hard time realizing is that most comedians have demons. Uh, most comedians suffer from depression, bipolar, uh, mood switch uh, changes hardships, downfalls, feeling inadequate. So it's almost like the way I looked at it when I got into comedy. Everything that ever pissed me off or made me bad or sad, uh, you, you, you put that joke cap on, you put a mask on, you go out there and you just, what I call, slay the dragon. You know, when you step on the, on, on the stage and it's you against the audience and you can have all these negative feelings about yourself, but yet you can go up there and just spill your guts and give your, your outlook on something, whether it's stupid, real, or you're just having punt with it. But uh, you exercise the feelings. Yeah, a lot of his uh, comedy reminded me 
of Sam Kinison in a way with different types of outbursts, of course, but yes. with that same buildup, you know, he always yes. started out kind of calm and then build up and then just went overboard. We had uh, kind of like a volcano, Sam right. Kinison right. and uh, I'll, I'll even say Don Rickles and, and Chris Farley are kind of like a volcano. Same with John Belushi in comedy to where they are, seasoned natural born stand-up comedians but then they just have this beauty and this desire and this gift to make it into acting robin like with robin williams but robin williams kind of was like a tornado or a hurricane of, of comedy to where uh, chris party was a freaking volcano just boom once he hit boom it was all over you're listening Back to the 80s. If they were a laxative, they'd be so powerful you could stand on your head and shit on the ceiling. That position would not only be unavailing, but also undignified. And now, back to the 80s with Toscano and Chang. You are back, back to the 80s right here on K Hits 92.5 with Toscano and Chang. We are talking comedians and keeping it real funny tonight. Toscano. Now, I've got another comedian right here. You know who this guy is. Louis Anderson, number 12 and one of our top 20 comedians of the 80s. And I believe Louis Anderson, uh, he capitalized pretty much on, uh, he got typecasted as that typical heavy set comedian, you know, and I, I think uh, he got bypassed to a certain degree uh, in the more popular uh, likers of, of, of stand-up comedy. But I thought he was quite brilliant. He was very funny, very cute. Uh, kind of. Like, I think he was funnier. I think he was funnier when he did stand up than when he did movies. Cause oh yeah. They wouldn't. They wouldn't really give him enough to talk during movies. No, he was no John Candy. Let's get that straight. No, no, not at all. Not but at everybody all. But everybody And then uh, his too. bulging. I mean, but if you looked at him, the bulging eyes themselves were very reminiscent of Rodden Dangerfield. But he he just didn't. I mean, he wasn't as funny no, he, as Rod. Well, he, on, yeah, on, he, he didn't have the shot. Uh, you know what? Uh, Louis Anderson always reminded me of that funny gay uncle or gay cousin, or, <laughs> or that manly aunt that somebody had. That's no offense. No offense. No offense. I'm not. I, I don't mean that derogatory to anybody. I'm just no. Telling you. No. He always reminded me of my gay uncle. What am I going to say? I would have kissed him on the cheek. I I thought it was great. I really liked him. And then he also came out in Coming to America. And believe it or not, he also came out in Coming to America Part 2. I really, really enjoyed watching him there. You know, once again, a small little part, but I was glad that he's being used for that. Now, I don't know how he feels about it, but uh, yeah, I really enjoyed his comedy. There's another guy who, back in the 80s, now, I don't know how you feel about this guy. I don't even know how I feel about this guy. Back in the 80s, he he had, I guess, uh, something going for stand-up comedy, and he used to do the very famous, My name is Bobby. Do you remember the ever-so-different Howie Mandel, who is now a germaphobe, by the uh, way? Yes. I, I oh, Dude, I thought Howie Mandel was creative, electrifying, just captivating. He was hilarious, kind of yeah. like... Uh, it's kind of like he had ADD when he did stand up comedy. When he did, yeah. He was, and then like, he always stretched out his, out. yeah, he always stretched out his arm yeah. and he goes, ah. he always did that, that funny voice. And like I said, I enjoyed when he did stand up so much. And then he got a part doing the voice of Bobby, the cartoon. Yeah. And then cartoon. now, obviously, he does the, the, the shows where they, you know, America's got talent and stuff like that. He did deal with and, deal or no deal. And uh, he, yeah, yeah now, he, now he's kind of kind of balled into that uh, television kind of uh, fame as, as opposed to what he was. He was always kind of that quirky, weird looking comedian where people are like, well, I don't know if he's got some type of a mental issue or. Uh, is he special needs? Is he gay? Is does he still want to be a kid? I mean, he, you know, everybody thought all kinds of crazy stuff about him, but I mean, he was right. he was freaking priceless. A, a great pickup by you. How could we forget the great Howie Mandel? Oh, I I really enjoyed his comedy, but uh, but now I don't know what to make of him. But uh, and just like uh, Dennis Leary, remember Dennis Leary, who is an incredible actor. Yeah. But he is also a very, very funny guy doing stand-up. Oh, Dennis Leary, he's one of my favorites. Pretty dark, kind of like that, kind of like that rocker street kind of tough uh, stand-up comedian. You know what I mean? He he'll cuss, he talks 
smack. Uh, you know, he he, he talked <laughs> yeah. about stuff that he did. You know what I mean? That is a lot of people don't want to talk about. He's a Chang yeah, style yeah. of comedian. I would love to do right. a show with him because I think it would be just like it would be rated X, not even R, if I was able to do a show with Dennis Leary. It would just be, yeah, it would no, be insane. Den- De- yeah, I think Dennis Leary was really, really cool. As a matter of fact, I love when he does um, – he came out with Stallone in Demolition Man, and his character fit him absolutely perfect because yeah. he was that underground um, uh, you know, leader of this underground mob. And then he's also voiced tons of uh, cartoons, you yeah. know, A Bug's Life, and then he did Ice Age. Oh, yeah. So – He's he's very versatile. He's very versatile. Now here's a comedian that isn't too versatile, but straight out of New York, he came out with a brilliant television show uh, that actually one of the characters we've already discussed as we uh, brought up stand-up comedians who kind of uh, bit the live nut on stage and did something insane. And I'm talking about Jerry Seinfeld. Now, I always thought. I thought Jerry Seinfeld was a smooth-talking, quick-witted, clean, everyday kind of joke with your buddy kind of comedian, like a Bill Cosby, but your homeboy. That's what I thought of. Have you ever sat down and listened to a comic that is so popular with people, and you sit down and you listen to him, and although you think his comedy is creative, you just don't get that rolling laughter yeah i mean has that ever happened yeah to you? arsenio hall there that's I what happens to me <laughs> <laughs> hey is this thing on i just put arsenio hall down. that's what happens to me that's what happens to me with jerry seinfeld um although i have laughed a few times with arsenio hall but i cannot picture just you know bawling and rolling in laughter with arsenio yeah, hall neither either can i bring out the posse remember when he did his tv show and I would be, I yeah. sat there a couple of times like, well, come on, dude, be funny, be funny, be funny. But I thought he was funny. I thought he was, when he did his, his monologue, I thought he was decent, you know, when he had that, that, the night show, um, I thought he was really I good. I thought he was pleasant. I thought he was friendly. I thought he was like a, a great host at a party, but not a TV show, right. show host. Because as a TV show host, you know, you to me, you want to you want to hit up questions that 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 show you have some brain, some knowledge, something that's going to bring out the other side of a, a an entertainer. Every time he asked a question, he sat there like a little kid waiting for the answer. Then his eyes raised like, oh, my God, just like, no, nah, dude, you're not cutting it, bro. <laughs> Now you're being you're oh, being a man. hater now. now well, my hater. name is Dick you Hater, and that Arsenio Hall guy I, I put in his show. I'd rather take a crap with, uh, with hemorrhoids for five minutes than sit through a <laughs> Arsenio Hall show. Damn it! Nice, nice. And as a matter of fact, that's the comedian that. Well, uh, seeing that I threw out a cheap thrill with Arsenio Hall because I think he sucks. Here's another comedian that I thought was funny as a comic, kind of dry but sucked as an actor. And I'm talking about Paul Reiser. Yes. Yeah. Although I think, I think he was funny in Beverly Hills Cop 2. I think he came out. I think he was funny there. We had, yeah. He, he had good writing and he was able to put his stand-up comedy kind of personality on that, uh, on that once uh, uh, character. But, you know, he came out in that TV show. My oh, two man, dads. I forgot the name no, was it my yeah, no, yeah in the it? 1980s he there was a sitcom called my two dads oh yeah, and yeah. then mad and about then you other, mad about you that's the one everybody was like in love with that girl and i was like man she's got lips as thick as a piece of paper i just i don't see the sex appeal <laughs> i don't right. see the funny appeal in this show let's just cancel this show so paul riser was a funny comedian but i just he just didn't have enough in the tank to catapult to anything but to be on our podcast show and say wow. paul riser yeah he was good and then he sucked now, you know hey, he's that? ranked this <laughs> he's ranked on comedy central's 2004 list of the 100 greatest stand-up comics of all time as in in number 77 that, that that's kind of a, a good spot for him i got to give it up to comedy central on that one that's a pretty good spot 77 yeah i i don't i don't even know if he he's he should be on that spot um out of a hundred out of the hundred greatest comedians of all time now, he's in now if he's really? behind Bobcat, then I'll tell you right now, that whole list is fudged up because Bobcat yeah, be well, number 100. Well, Bobcat is in there. He's got to be number 100. Yeah. 
As a matter of fact, how would you like to know what place Bob Kent? I would because if in? he's anywhere above Roseanne Barr, another annoying douche of a person that I think is Roseanne Barr. <laughs> I didn't. Bobcat Goldweight is in number oh, 80th I knew it. place I told you, didn't I, out of I, the I top he 100. Had to be. You couldn't rank him any higher than 80. You just can't. <laughs> if you did, then you know what? You have dyslexia. You took too many acid trips back in the 80s because you cannot put that guy. You literally sounded like Bobcat <laughs> Goldweight back then. Yeah. Now, now who do you got in, 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 in your canon? Are you going to give us a good comedian or a suck-ass comedian? Incredible comedic actor. One of maybe the top 10 greats of all time. And I'm talking about... Tom Hanks. No, oh, my gosh. I'm talking about none other than Gene Wilder. Ah, uh, Gene Wilder. There's another individual. Who also came out in many movies with with Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor. Right. Blazing Saddles. Yeah. Uh, Silver, Silver Street. Remember that. Silver and he that, was yeah. married with SNL actress and comedian. Remember the her? The late great Gilda Radner, of course, brother. That's right. I mean, everything he That's did, right. he just had that look that he just knew the way he was going to deliver his line was hilarious because it was aggressive, kind of yelling the way he would do it. And it was so so quick, the facial expressions that he would make. Mommy! <laughs> yeah. You know, he was, uh, he was one of a kind, man. When he played uh, Willy Wonka, that was bad. When does he get it? He doesn't. Why not? Because he broke the rules. What rules? We didn't see any rules, did we, Charlie? Wrong, sir. Wrong. Under Section 37B of the contract signed by him, it states quite clearly that all offers shall become null and void if, and you can read it for yourself in his photostatic copy, I, the undersigned, shall forfeit all rights, privileges, and licenses herein and herein contained, etc., etc. Fax mentis incendium gloria calpum, etc., etc. Memo bis punitor delicatum. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized, so you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. That that took that took that character to, it brought it to life. It really did. And don't get me going with with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because with Johnny, with what Johnny Depp did in the newer version is a disgrace. You know, that that thing is something out of a a book of Johnny Depp made it look a little perverted, like he was a, a gay child capturer or something. And you're like, whoa, Johnny. Made it was just it was weird, bro. Yeah, it came out of uh, uh, something from uh, a, a late '60s creepy, creepy movie that would be featured on Elvira. Yeah, now if I was a kid, and I would have got the golden ticket. I would have said, "I'm not going, Grandma and Grandpa. That guy's going to get me in the butt and have uh, prison sex with me, and pretend I'm getting the freaking candy. He's a he's a freak." <laughs> now I've got one for you, okay? That started his career way, way into into the '60s and '70s, but in the '80s had a, a show that just mm. it. I mean, it just blew up here in the United States. This guy was hilarious as in, in anything that he did in his show. He was born on January 21st, 1924 in England, and his name was Alfred Hawthorne Hill, known as Benny Hill. Thank you. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you all for being with us, and we look forward to seeing you all again soon. Until then, bye-bye. God bless. Look after yourselves. Ah, oh, Benny Hill. Oh, Benny Hill. I mean, everybody watched Benny Hill when they were growing up. I mean, how could you not watch Benny Hill slap that 90-year-old ball guy behind the head and then warm his hands on women's butts like he was sticking them in the oven? I mean, that was just that was just every adolescent funny bone, get a boner watching those girls yep. and watching Benny yep. Hill. Uh, he, uh, Benny Hill. He featured, um, you know, attractive <laughs> young women. That he collectively called, or they were known oh, as yeah. Hill's Angels. Yes, and you know the 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 thing a lot of people don't know is Benny Hill was gay. Yes, yes, I heard that. It's hilarious because back then it was unheard of. Right, that was I guess one of but, the greatest oxymorons of all time. Yes, but the thing if you if you try to break down his 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 show and his style of comedy, he was kind of making fun of Neanderthalic behavior of a straight man. 
right. how they just saw women as that, and that's what they wanted. That was that was always on their mind. So, as a gay man, I think he created uh, a brilliant television show in the style of comedy, and he was mocking us straight guys. You know, in, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, in 1989, he announced that after 21 years being on Thames Television, he was mm-hmm. quitting and taking the year off. So, his show earned him, and this is 1989. Earned him twenty six million pounds, English pounds. That's a whole wow. heck of a lot of money. Yes, yes, that's 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 a lot of money. I wonder if he ever went to go visit the Queen. Oh, Betty, you make me laugh so hard. Oh, and you don't like women. Neither do I. Oh, my grandsons are gay. There is so much to talk about comedians uh, here on Back to the 80s, but obviously because of time, we just don't have enough of it. But we promise you that next week we're going to bring you a part three of comedians of the 1980s, including female comedians of the 1980s. We must not forget our wonderful female comedians. For anybody else who wants to listen and be a part of our program, stay tuned because next week it's going to be a killer show. I'm Toscano from Toscano and Chang wishing you the greatest week ever and hoping that you take care, be safe, and do a good deed this week. Take care. Chang here before I release you to another Chang-tastic week and a weekend. Remember, I have to urge you all to put a smile on that face. Stand up for something bigger than yourselves. Remember, everybody out here, stay lifted and gifted. Get each other's back. We are all one race, the human race. So I bid you all an hasta la vista, adios, arrivederci, hasta mañana, sayonara, and to all the homies, orale. Take me back to the glory days.